Welcome to the Sober Town Podcast. Let's jump on that train and ride, ride into the wonderful, amazing, sometimes a little bit strange world of sobriety. Today, I'm with Sarah Malloy. And I'm here with Elaine Schuyler Neal. And you are hanging with the sober baddies. Today, we're going to talk about alcohol and temptation. Sobriety is rad. Sobriety is where it's at. And sometimes we all get tempted. So I think it's worthwhile for us to just dive into the pit. Um, <laughs> the today, pit of temptation. The pit of temptation. We're going to dance with the devil. So we're kind of going to talk about like situations that I think come up, especially like in the summer season, um, that kind of your, where your temptation sort of sneaks up on you. And then we'll talk about like why those situations are so tempting. And then we're just going to toss out like some ideas that we've heard of what you can do to try to beat it. And here's the thing. We don't have all the answers. We are not healthcare practitioners. Last week or whatever, we did a thing with the DSM-5. I got that off the internet. I am not a healthcare professional. <laughs> Elaine, are you? No, but I will say though, we two, we are two people who have made it to nine months, almost 10 and over a year in recovery. So we do have a lot of, even though we're not um, you know, medically trained in this, we certainly do, we are expert ex-drinkers and we have been able to clear a lot of hurdles. So there's that. Personally, yeah. But like, if you're seriously, if you have some questions about your alcohol's relationship with you, like talk to your healthcare professional, like, you know, we're not, we're just here to like work out our stuff. And we're so glad to have you with us hanging with the sober baddies. So um, let's get right to it. Elaine, like what kinds of situations do you feel like alcohol starts to kind of call to you? Well, I kind of feel like first and foremost, we need to address that it's pretty much any place with alcohol can be triggering, Boom. especially as you're early on. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. sadly, unfortunately, alcohol is everywhere. It's mm -hmm. even in yoga now, <laughs> like it's in... It's, it's everywhere. So one thing that's really helpful is to just recognize that right out the gate, alcohol is everywhere. Um, you know, yeah. liquor stores are in every corner. It's going to be something that we can't change that is going to be around us. Yeah. And, you know, we've been like that Annie Grace book, like if you haven't read it, it, to me, it was a huge game changer. It's called um, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And she clearly lays out the way that we've been conditioned to associate alcohol with all good things. And it's, it's, it's embedded in the back of our brain since we were children. And so I think recognizing that is like step one to, you know, going to any event or situation, you know, and just understanding alcohol's relationship with you. Yeah. And I mean, if we were going to like distill that down, so like alcohol is everywhere, but there's like, like probably like five or more, I don't know, we could tag a bunch of them, but there's, there's big things that alcohol is definitely at, right? Like celebrations, like weddings, bachelor parties, big birthdays, that sort of thing. Somebody's so, leaving the country. What, do, what are some others that come? Yeah. To so like, let's, I kind of made a list of just situations where you know, you decide you're going to get sober. 
and then life shows up. You're, you're at your house, you know, it's the weekend, you're cleaning up, you're organizing, you do a face mask, <laughs> whatever. And then life starts and you have to go out into society and it's like your neighbor's having a barbecue. Yes. And so, you know, there's a get together, you know, for a birthday party or whatever, just kind of like local friendship get togethers. And there's alcohol there. There's a cooler. I think any good, host, <laughs> any good host has two coolers. There's a cooler full of alcohol and a cooler full of non-alcoholic for the kids. And if you don't do that, then you're just, you're a shitty person. <laughs> I must've been pretty shitty. Cause I think I was always just like, had the cooler for the adults. And then it was like, oh, kids, you can get some water over here. You can suck on the ice cubes, kids. <laughs> Just get the ice cubes out of the bin. <laughs> yep. I know. Yep. Well, yeah, and that's why too, I think we wanted to do this because COVID it, restrictions are lifting in summer, things okay. are you know, opening back up. And, you know, people are gonna be at these gatherings more and in early sobriety, you know, alcohol is gonna be there for sure. So like bar, big one. Live music is a big deal to me. Um, I just bought tickets to see Celine. Oh, cool. Yesterday. Nice. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna brush that dirt off my shoulders. <laughs> anyway, concerts are big. Like we talked about it last time where it's like, I've missed the fucking opening set of my favorite band because I had to be in line for the bar. Yeah. Same. So it's that thing where you're just together with a bunch of people and there's bright lights and you just feel so it's so exciting and special and you're like I gotta punctuate this it's yes a that's a good point I need to punctuate this mm -hmm. that is something that I think you end up feeling yeah or festivals like even like any sort of like you know obviously um what are those called like German festivals you know? oh yeah well that's like for the beer like you better yes Oktoberfest, that's what those are called. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you're voting if you're going to go to um, Oktoberfest. Yeah. For sure. That, that's like about the beer. But <laughs> festivals and fairs, fairs like yeah. alcohol, that's, that's huge. You know, the sun's out, people are roaming around. There's beer. Mm -hmm. I just got back from one and it was, there was beer everywhere. Well, and I also think too, like, you know, mournful situations. We're talking about all the happy, happy, happy things, but like even in like funerals and gatherings Ooh. around funerals, like <laughs> anything sad, there's usually a crap ton of booze because people are using it to cope. You totally. know, totally. Totally. That's like I went to. I a, did not have that on my list. That's a big one. Yeah. And you know, like travel destinations comes to mind too. Like if you're going to go to like, a really beautiful resort or something, there's gonna be all sorts of booze there. Sometimes like, you know, you might be like on a, a sunset cruise and there's booze there, oh, you know? Absolutely. Or, I mean, you check into a fancy hotel and it comes with a free glass of wine. Right, it or it's like already wine. there, I know. It's everywhere. It, they, you have to dodge it. Weddings. Mm-hmm. Weddings. Weddings. weddings are this, I don't know why. And here I am. I'm in my closet right now. <laughs> She's literally in the closet. Satin, velvet, knit, sequin. I mean, I've got it. 
And we should say she's not in the booze closet. She's not in the denial closet. She's like in her home closet for sound purposes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is this closet is well stocked for a good sound, sound absorption. Got some good stuff. Weddings are hard for me because I don't know why, but I feel like whenever I'm like dressed up really pretty, I want to have a glass of wine in my hand because Somewhere in my fucking brain, society trained me to think that alcohol makes you beautiful and exotic and upscale and fancy. Yeah. And I, when I'm wearing something pretty, I don't know why. It just, it's a festive thing, you know, like, well, I'm out, it's special and alcohol wants me to think that it's special, but it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's just one of those things too, as well. Like if, if we buy, let's say, you know, what do people do when they move into like a new fancy house? A lot of times they got to get the nice cars to match the fancy house. You know, sometimes there are just things that we associate with other things like alcohol. In fact, I just moved into kind of a swanky new building and right in the And there's all this food. It's a crazy amount of food in the bottom, but there's also a pretty swanky wine store. And I'm like, damn it. I didn't see that when we first took the door. And then there are ladies dressed pretty nice walking from the wine shop up back into the residences. And I'm, I must confess, I was a bit, I felt like I was missing out a little. Uh So there are things like that, that, you know, just everywhere shops everywhere. And, um, you know, that's another thing too, where temptation situations, is a big one for me is after work or un- other situations where we feel like we need to unwind. Totally, so just like daily life, like <laughs> right your day, putting your fucking kids to bed. Right. You know, like it's, it, 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 it comes up. All right. Um, I, I think I, I really admire Elaine, how you just were like, I saw a cool lady walking in and she, you liked what she was wearing and she went to the wine store and then she went to her house. And it's like, I love my sobriety. It's my favorite thing. And I think it's okay for us to admit that like sometimes we get tempted. And I think the, really the only way to like beat temptation, which we're gonna get to, no, we're not gonna get how to, but is like to recognize that it's kind of always gonna be there. That's why the people who have been sober for five minutes are like, I'm never drinking again, fuck alcohol. And then like, you talk to someone who's been sober for 18 years and they're like, well, I'm sober today. I take it one day at a time. Yeah. That's so true to say. I mean, you're, we're only human. And especially those of us who got caught in these cycles of feeling like we needed this for so long and that we were entitled to it. It's just bound to be there. And awareness is huge. Just being able to recognize Yeah. And even, and, you know, I think too, as you go along, you kind of get in front of the temptation a little bit more. You're able to be like, okay, I'm going to see this. I'm going to that wedding. It's probably, it's probably going to be uncomfortable at this one moment. I don't know what moment it's going to be, but it's going to be there. And I'm going to have my laser vision on. (laughs) I'm going to look for it, you know? And that's what that, that's exactly what this is, is we, we kind of, come to terms with the fact that we do get tempted we're not made of steel and our sobriety is our favorite thing but you know it's it's one day at a time and so you for me I go all right I'm gonna wear this awesome dress mm-hmm. I'm wear those cult favorite shoes and I I try to kind of like play it ahead you know where I'm like 
I'm going to walk up. It's going to be beautiful. There's going to be beautiful music playing. There's probably going to be a handsome bartender with a nice bottle of Chardonnay chilled on ice. And I'm going to walk right up to him and I'm going to say, do you have any soda water, Andrew? <laughs> Andrew, I like how you gave him a name already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just picturing Andrew McCarthy, you know, from like Pretty oh, in Pink. I, love him. I know. He does. I think. <laughs> what? He's aged pretty well, I think. Oh, yeah. Now I'm going to have to. Okay. Everyone listening to this, let's all collectively Google <laughs> after this. Uh, too bad we don't have a Silver Baddies Instagram, and then people could post their pictures of of uh andrew, andrew, McCarthy. andrew mccarthy i know or <laughs> pictures of them being weekend at bernie's into fucking concerts back <laughs> in the days because i've been there oh my god so i had to get weekend to bernie's into red rocks and i they did i did it well my brother did it but andrew mccarthy love you uh, all right uh, other situations pool yeah right anytime it's like Anytime you're around water, it like triggers you to drink. But anyone who knows anything about water safety or water safety instruction is like alcohol and water don't mix. That's so interesting too. Why do we do that? It's like islands, pools, anything with water. Why is that? What if, what happened is, is there like just a shit ton of ads with water in it? And then over time we're like water equals booze. (laughs) away from my problem (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah it is I think that they've they have they have conditioned us to think that anything fun and exotic and exciting and adventurous alcohol needs to be there a part of it yeah and you know what um one thing that you just said that that you just said reminded me of social media as well because like social media and all of like you're watching your friends colleagues not even anybody you know but just a beautiful woman or a beautiful couple enjoying like um some cocktails or just the cocktails on their own backdropped by like an amazing setting those are tempting even though we're not there why is that that's so weird they're reaching out to us through our little handhelds and gripping us in because they're like this bottle of beer can take you to this field (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I and we drink to escape our normal lives and we drink to enjoy our escape when we're on yes. vacation so funny camping I got camping, camping on my list because camping I don't know I grew up camping and my parents would just like day drink when yeah. we were camping because they didn't have anything like for me it's like well if all my responsibilities are checked off then I can check out and drink yeah. and so parents just kind of always drank mm-hmm. they drank when we were camping because why not we're on vacation I know and plus there's not as much to do camping you know? exactly <laughs> I mean there is if you want there to be I love making like involved meals like I made a paella oh, yeah. once over an open yeah. fire in a pan it was gorgeous it was beautiful of course I had my booze but yes I know I couldn't even think about going camping without my booze I know and what's crazy about that is like camping is a place where you're if you're a parent you're taking your children into the fucking wilderness and keeping them alive and pretending that you're homeless <laughs> and you're gonna do that drunk 
<laughs> that's the real homeless experience. That, yeah, that, that stresses oh. me out. Just thinking about it. It's like sunscreen, snacks, water, woods, bugs, snakes, <laughs> getting lost, falling off of things, getting, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> you're in a survival situation when you're camping. <laughs> oh, as you can tell, I don't camp a whole lot. <laughs> no, that's good. I think I think it's kind of ironic. Maybe we'll get back to this on the why of it. That people want to like enjoy booze in the wilderness, right? Because it's yeah. such a beautiful, should be beautiful, commune with nature, just listen to the sounds, see the wildlife if you can, hopefully not a bear just running into your sight. But you yeah. know, and then we have to like dull our senses down with the booze. It's so Which weird they train us to think that we're we're enhancing our senses right but but it's not we're dulling our senses down and so our ability more on your list in the fucking wilderness <laughs> oh my god okay so i think we got um like i got barbecue concerts fairs festivals weddings rafting boating pool camping vacation hotels anything that's fun <laughs> yeah anything fun and then also anything not fun <laughs> like doing your taxes, you know, crunching out those TPS reports, putting your kids to bed. I was just thinking too about how when you go to the salon now, you often get offered like a champagne or a wine while you're getting, <gasps> while you're waiting for your hair to get done. That's just even for a cut, you know, it's like, oh yeah, some Chardonnay while, while we cut your hair. <laughs> I know because that that's upscale. Yeah. That's upscale. That's that's an upscale salon that does that. So let's turn to um, why we feel tempted. In let's the turn to why we feel tempted. I think there's a thousand more situations. And yeah, right. People are going to be listening to this, and they're going to have their own list. Yep. Make your own list, and I think the point of making that list and this whole conversation is to have thought about it before you go to the situation. Yeah, that's All so right. true. Why do we feel tempted to drink? I think for me a lot, well, I've noticed that there's this fear of missing out sometimes mm -hmm. that like, you know, if I'm the only one at the wedding, not drinking, somehow I'm not having the same experience as totally. everyone else. They're having more fun. Look how much they're laughing. Exactly. Look how much they're laughing, all that. Uh-huh. But then, I mean, this I'm getting ahead of myself because it's like, what do we do, you know? But I went to a festival this weekend. It was three days. I took my kids. We rocked it. And I didn't drink, obviously. And like, I noticed people like their face starts drooping kind of in a funny way once they've been drinking. And like, they, the, the way that they talk is so annoying. And then like, there was bands and people were dancing. Like someone's talked about, oh my gosh, has anyone ever sober danced? And it's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's my middle name. And like people dancing drunk. Ugh. There's they a whole, yeah. There's a it's great, sad. like to plug another great book out there. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray has like a whole section about that. She's talking a lot about sober dancing and having to overcome that fear. Um, and that is also another thing why we feel tempted, you know, fear of like not, I think like anxiety as well. Like when you show up to an event and you just want to chill that anxiety out, which actually feeds into like all sorts of other um, 
coping things like other feelings, any feeling that we're having that's uncomfortable that we don't want anymore, whether it's just like, oh, I'm stressed. I got to talk to these new coworkers I've never met before. And I, I'm kind of burned out from the day and I don't want to, yep. I need this, I need this liquid courage, you know, yep. jumping all the things. Especially now, because we've all been cooped up for 18 months. Yeah, and so we, um, getting back out there feels kind of weird. And so it's like, you're super tempted to like loosen up, you yeah. know, with a drink because you have to like have a conversation with somebody with, that's you know, so sober true. with your real self. So that social discomfort and being able to loosen up, that's like, that's a trigger that probably comes to you before you even know it. And that's the thing. That's the thing about all these, why are we tempted for us to line this out? This is stuff I never thought about until I read that dang book. Yeah. It's, it's, this is stuff that happens in your mind and you sort of act on it without stopping, being curious, labeling it, noticing it, observing it, you mm -hmm. know, like, so that whole like social discomfort, boom, that's one of them. And then having more fun, enhancing your experience. Yeah. Dude, you associate that with alcohol before you even fucking know it. Mm-hmm. That's I so bet my kids associate it. Mm. Associate alcohol with more fun because of what they've seen in media and what they've seen in their life so far. Yeah, yeah. from parents. Yeah. That's so true, I think is. And you know, you can't blame any of us because most of us drinkers, and I don't know what your personal situation is, but if we grew up where, you know, alcohol is around and everyone's drinking and it's just part of, part of the space, you yep. have no reason to think that it's not a good thing. Yep. Boom. And so I learned it and then I taught it to my kids and now I'm unlearning it and I'm trying to teach it to my fucking parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably harder to do. We should have a whole podcast episode. About that. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing, everyone, I'm not trying to teach shit to anyone yeah. except myself yes. and then my kids. So that was a joke. I have no right to teach my mom about her drinking at all. Period. Well, you know what you mentioned though, about seeing everybody having it around you. It's like that social proof that when you're in an environment where everybody's drinking, whether, or, you know, if you watch it growing up, you know, you kind of feel like, it's, it sends a message that if everybody's doing it, it must not be that bad. And I, I catch myself in that all the, or sometimes, not all the time, but even after a couple months in sobriety, I think I was at a, in a situation where there were a bunch of other people drinking and I kind of questioned like, was I really that bad? You know, totally. <laughs> these people seem fine. Everybody's doing it. Maybe it's, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe I just need to slow down, you know? Yeah, so I maybe think I've been radicalized by all these sober folks. <laughs> yeah, right. I know that is, that was, a it was a fleeting concern, not, not radicalized, but almost like, am I brainwashing myself? Everybody yeah. else seems fine. Maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion kind of questions that I think you start having. It sinks um, in, it totally tries to seep in and you really do have to have you got to have that armor. You have to really know what the fuck you're dealing with because that's the other thing is I didn't know how, I mean, I never really had any negative associations with alcohol. It was all fun, fun, fun. I was just a, I was a fun loving buzz chaser and I never really had anything bad happen about it, but I didn't know the, what I was dealing with. It's, it's cunning. It, what do they say? It's cunning and baffling. Yes. I didn't know that. I just let it take hold of me 
Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to try to do. And maybe we could get, after I think we should get, we should exhaust all of our ideas about why we get tempted and then maybe pop in a little thing about the attic voice. Yes. You know, so, too. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to recap what we've already done. Yeah. The only one I was going to add to that list, which I don't know if you feel, but um, boredom. Boredom is I, that's what I was just gonna say. You're like boredom, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boredom My or like night, a boredom. Uh huh. Because <laughs> even at a really fun party, you kind of get bored because you're just like, especially if you're talking to a bunch of drunks, mm-hmm. and you're just <laughs> and they're like, repeating themselves over and over again. Boy, yeah. Or there's just that force of habit where it's like you arrive at the party, you set your stuff down. Where's the bar? Where's the bathroom? Where's the bar? It's just this thing. And, and it's like smokers, you know, how they, they like to have the thing in their hand. Yeah. And it's, it's that thing. It's that 12 ounce curl that you have the muscle memory for <laughs> that. You don't quite know what, you don't know what to do at a fucking party. If you're not doing 12 ounce curls. I think there's a term for that, like oral fixations. That kind of yeah. sounds like a dirty term. <laughs> totally. Totally does. But it's like, we get used to having like a drink like that we're sipping on. And I think it even plays into like people who drink a lot of caffeine or coffee or whatever they're drinking throughout the day. They just need that. And I think that that was definitely me in the afternoons. I just needed that cup all the way up until I went to bed. Yeah. You need that cup. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I've said it. I keep saying it and here I am. This is velvet. This is satin. This is sequin. She's going through her clothes. Taffeta. It feels fancy. Yes. I don't know why. There's something in my brain and it feels fancy. It, it's and well, for me, like I just get like a little mocktail, which I just love because I know I'm like hydrating and getting that cranberry antioxidant, you know, and it feels just as fancy. It feels just as fancy. And do you think that has to do a little bit with the barware that we've been ceremoniously putting our drinks in? Because if if we were all just sucking down champagne out of like, I don't know, a jelly jar, (laughs) it doesn't have the same hit to it as it does out of a beautiful slender champagne flute where you can see the bubbles rising so beautifully in the light of the party, you know? Yeah, they sell it to you. They package it. My husband is a brewmaster. He spends a lot of time, just this morning, just this morning, he was on his phone going, look at these new Pilsner glasses we're getting. Because with beer, the glassware is, in Europe especially, the glassware is the thing because it's mm-hmm. that's the experience, mm-hmm. the experience. And side note, jelly jars were my favorite thing to drink wine out of. Really? I, had, I saved the cute ones. I loved it because it was just the right size in my hand. I'm thinking of the ball jars that are like enormous. I could put like a half a bottle of wine in one of those probably. I know, like the cute ones. But I did go to a fancy restaurant, like, I don't know, a week ago. And it was super fancy. And I was like, I'll just take like a mocktail or whatever. Like, you seem like you know what you're doing. I just trust you, you know, not too much sugar, whatever. And he gave me this most beautiful mocktail in this beautiful little goblet and he like sprinkled this design on the top of it and I took a picture of it and I didn't post it on IAS because I feel like it romanticizes alcohol it romanticizes that experience Mm -hmm. but it was beautiful 
Yeah. And it, it, it made me feel like I was drinking. Like I was <laughs> at the bar. We sat, we ate at the bar because there wasn't any tables. And I just felt like, cool, dude, I'm right here in the mix, but I still got my sobriety cape, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we could have a whole different podcast episode about alcohol-free drinks for sure. There's so much debate and so many different things about that. We'll circle back. We'll circle back. Let's totally, let's put a pin in that. Everybody stay tuned. We're going to do an (laughs) NA. I mean, I can like review craft beer. It's, I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. The exotic experience, craft cocktails. That's, that's one of it. There's this exotic experience and the ads for it, you know, like, I don't want to name any fucking alcohol on this entire podcast. I don't want to give anybody the honor of having their name dropped, you know, mm-hmm. as an example. But there's a lot of ads that that make you think that that is the ticket to an exotic beach experience, to being the most interesting person in the room, mm-hmm. to, you know, all, all those those routes that they take to get into your subconscious. Yeah, that marketing is powerful. It really is. And that's what we're doing right now is we're trying to go into that back closet of our subconscious and flick on a fucking flashlight and look around because you, we don't look at it. We don't think about it. That's why it's sub it's below your consciousness. But if you can find a way to think ahead about what your situations are, why you're getting tempted, then you can think about what you're going to do. All right. Any other, why we get tempted for you, Elaine? No, I think that's good. Okay, I'm going to add a couple more. One of them for me is the taste. I still Oh, true. I love the taste of beer and I don't crave the taste of wine anymore. I used to think <laughs> I love wine. It's so delicious. I had all the books. I lived in wine country. And it's like <laughs> actually it's kind of gross. Yeah. I do I miss it occasionally, but it's a really one specific kind, not a brand, but a type. And I'll miss that occasionally, but usually I can like just mm-hmm. make it disappear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, um, sometimes I miss a margarita, and, mm-hmm. but that honestly, if you gave me a soda water with a good amount of lime juice and a little bit of simple sugar, and you put it in a cool cup with a garnish, I would love it. Cause a lot of it there is the experience. Yeah, it's true. It, it all just circles back to the experience. I don't really need actually the margarita. Mm-hmm. It's just the ordering it. Well, and I think Annie Grace talks about that in this Naked Mind as well, like to have us almost put those experiences under a microscope and say, when we were in Mexico, was it really the margarita making the making the trip beautiful or was it the experience? And That's sunset, yep. Yeah. And that kind of does segue a little bit into what we can do, but you might have other ones. So I'll let you go back, but yes. For some people, um, I think getting the, the idea of getting away with it. Mm, Um, I think that's like worth talking about because we all want our sobriety and, you know, some of us are out as sober and then you kind of think of a situation, you know, your husband goes away for business or whatever and you think I could drink and no one would know. Yeah. You know what? I hadn't thought of that, but that's so true because I find myself missing as well. Some of the private, more private moments I had, which were dumb yeah. by the way, yeah. my, like my private moments around drinking were just all out of whack. Like, it's so waste. <laughs> it is. And you know, what's funny when I was talking about that fleeting moment of the 
nice liquor store in the bottom yeah. of my swanky thing, my brain went, oh, you know, you could go get a bottle of wine and drink it in the parking garage. <laughs> <laughs> like not like, like take it upstairs <laughs> and put it in a glass it was like oh I could go and hide and do that there's something I don't know how there's something inherently personal and secretive about that ritual of drinking that I think you arrive to for some of us at some point yep. and it becomes very personal and private and and distinctly our own uh-huh and so there's kind of a thrill to that Mm-hmm. there's yeah. kind of a thrill to that and that's something that we need to just get the flashlight and shine it right in its face and go what are you doing here yeah that's a good so, point the attic voice is something that um a lot of people talk about on the IAS app and just kind of out in the recovery community I had never heard about it they call it the attic voice that's what I've heard it called I don't know what it's like officially called I don't know if anything's official in sobriety well, some people name theirs I've named my Mrs. Waterford from the from the handmaid's tale tell me oh oh my god <laughs> you know, she's kind of beautiful and subtle and you want to believe her but then she turns cunt like right away and then you yes. hate her again she'll do whatever it takes <laughs> she'll manipulate <laughs> that's how I feel okay okay for those of you who haven't watched the handmaid's tale hit pause right now on this podcast <laughs> drop what you're doing go it's on hulu I don't know if we should be giving plugs but or finish the podcast and then just go watch it after for sure for sure <laughs> it's it's a profound statement about women and society and unfortunately i think it makes a profound statement about our time now which is tricky to oh anyway do you have a name for your attic voice what's that do you have a name for your attic voice no i i haven't but i want to talk about yours still because mm -hmm. you you picked a personification that is, it, it really helps like uh, capture the temptation, the beauty, the allure, and the like relentless, fierce, fucking sharp nails and sharp teeth <laughs> that it will go to all extents, all ends to, to achieve its goal. I think a better known one for people who've never watched The Handmaid's Tale is Catherine Gray from The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober called hers Voldemort <laughs> from uh -huh. the Harry Potter scene. And uh -huh. she even shortened it to Valdi whenever like the crave, like whenever her inner attic voice would come in, she'd be like, she'd get to a point where she'd be like, shut up, Valdi. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that so was that's the thing about the attic voice is it's this thing that you name, you can capture it in your mind and you, it's got all these other, you know, it's not a simple, like flat two-dimensional thing. It's got all sorts of aspects of your life tied up and bound into it and so if you can kind of name it and then you can sort of call it out it uh, it's helped a lot of people yeah and I think too it helps even if you don't name it it helps you differentiate that part of yourself from the rest of yourself not because you're trying to like necessarily kill off that part of yourself but just be, so that you can recognize it be aware of it and that it doesn't take over the rest of your mindset which is yep. really useful. Yeah. And it's, it's a box. 
you know, in your brain, it's a file that you can put all these feelings, all these events, and then all these feelings and these temptations kind of into that. And then you can sort of see it objectively, maybe close it up, tape it shut. It's, it's a place for you to help conceive of these things so that you can work through them, I think. Yeah, no, um, so true. And just like yours, what I wrote down is somebody said, I was, I think it was Drifter actually, who said it will pull every lever and push every button to try to get you to use. Yeah. And so when you can identify it and you can think about it and you can name it, it helps you get outside of it. Because I think the reason it gets us so much is because it, it gets us before we can even think of it. Yeah. Before we even know it. And I've had dreams where I'm drinking and I like kind of realize I'm drunk and it's like, because I didn't remember I forgot I just drank I, I didn't make a conscious choice to drink in all of them I just sort I of, think I've had that dream too like you're like oh shit I meant to be sober yes. still yes <laughs> and I think that that's really real for a lot of people I think people have reset because they're like you know I went to my brother's birthday and I didn't it just ended up in my hand because they'll yeah. put it in your hand for you oh yeah somehow it ends up there. If a friend doesn't put it there, your attic voice, your inner Voldemort <laughs> Waterford will do it for you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, so I don't really have like a name for my attic voice, but um, I'll send you a picture. We went, we, we visited a brewery, a really beautiful, prominent brewery in um, Belgium. And there's a picture of a woman in a beautiful red satin dress standing next to a man playing a grand piano and okay. she's kind of like the devil for us <laughs> oh. and I just sort of picture my attic voice is me in that dress mm. like my attic voice isn't this other little demon you know some people say Gollum which I'm a Lord <laughs> of the Rings fan I can argue that I don't think Gollum is <laughs> bad but it's it's not it's this other... it says my precious yeah Gollum <laughs> We, maybe we should do a whole nother podcast on that. <laughs> Gollum was a hobbit, dude. Gollum, all he wants is love. Gollum is not bad. Anyway, my attic voice is me. Mm -hmm. It's not this other. It's it's And what I try to do when I'm in this situation, and I know about the attic voice, and I try to name it. I haven't really arrived, you know. But I, I think of it as me, like in that um, Gwyneth Paltrow movie, uh, Sliding Doors, where mm -hmm. it's like the old her and then the new her and I think of the old me with just like a red face slurring my words you know not looking at my kids in the eye feeling anxious having problems and stress and making excuses all the time yeah and so wow. it's like the girl in the red dress sort of draws me in and then I take a closer look at her and she's like you know when you just like wash your face at night <laughs> drinking and you're just like ah <laughs> or you what or when you wake up and you're really hung over that is the that's, that's like the worst. worst yep so attic voice know it name it use it as a tool to help put all these it's a box you can put all these things in and then you know with your therapist or whatever open it up and look at it but it definitely is worth gathering all this shit up all right <laughs> what do we do what do we do when we're at the barbecue concert fair festival wedding funeral home yeah and i'm curious what's your favorite what's your main tip like you've gotten to 
beyond a year, like what, what was your main go-to thing? I mean, I'm so sure I'm, there's many. I'm no expert. I've been sober for five minutes. I'm no expert. <laughs> no, but I mean, surely you had cravings. Surely you had temptations. What did you find yourself returning to one tool more than others? I mean, the first thing you can do if you really are serious about your sobriety and you're worried that you, um, that the temptation might be too much is you stay home mm. and you do a puzzle, you do a paint by number, you know, I don't know, I, the, read a book. The second thing is you bring LaCroix or bubbly or what, there's so many of them now, the good fizzy waters. Yeah. You bring, you bring yourself a cooler and you bring those and you have it in your hand. And sometimes I can just be drinking a can. Sometimes this goes back to all of our, like wearing your sobriety and being out sober. Sometimes I have to bring a cup and I put it in the cup because I don't want to answer to anyone. Why yes. That's so true too. That was even like one that um, we could have put on a, on a higher up in the list structuring that we just had is we don't want to tell people. Yeah. These things. You yeah. don't want to talk about your sobriety. And so it's easier to just drink so you don't have to tell everyone. Yourself. Yes. That is a real thing. People really freak out about this, especially early on. They don't want to, sure. they don't want to um, disappoint people. Yeah. 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 Um, another one that I've heard is to tell the bartender. So like you're at a bar, you're at a wedding, you're at a thing and you're like, Hey, Andrew, here's 10 bucks. Andrew. <laughs> hey, just, every time you see me, just slide me you know, a soda water with cranberry or a soda water and lime and just make it look like a real alcohol mm -hmm. and just keep, keep my, you know, keep me, just stay in my loop with me. Um, tell a friend, tell everyone and get that accountability piece. Yeah. Um, and then another tool that I have, cause I went to Mexico, I was in an all-inclusive resort in a foreign country surrounded by strangers and they were literally bringing me trays of alcohol and like trying to hand it to me. And so what I did was I just thought bad thoughts about alcohol. I yeah. thought it seems tempting now, but I'm going to have to pay it off. And all this work I've done, even if you're one day sober, you've done 24 hours of hard work and you're going to have to do it all over again. If it's true, you decide to drink. And so I do that. I've also heard to play the tape forward where you just sort of go, all right, yeah, let's say I take this drink. What am I going to do? I'm going to have another one and then I'm going to have another one. And then I'm going to leave my fucking keys here and my car here. I'm probably going to lose my keys. I'm going to have to get a ride home. I'm going to puke in my purse. Someone's going to have to pick me up out of the alley. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right though. The more yeah. that, you, that you dream like worst case scenarios. Yes. Cause you're not, I'm Here's like, did you ever puke Carter, in your purse? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> I've definitely taken some questionable shit to the dry cleaner and been like, oh, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. There was, that's, that brings up a funny story. I had this dress once. It was really beautiful yeah. sort of sheath style dress. And I used to always carry around martinis that had like grenadine in them, some sort of super chick style martini when I was younger. Yeah. And when I turned the dress inside out, there were all these drips of grenadine from me, like 
holding it because you know martinis really full martinis when you're walking around a crowded bar invariably Not, you're dribbling this on yourself especially yeah, if you're yeah. like the third one so yeah. i had all these gritty trips but the drip on the, the, on the inside of the lining <laughs> the outside was like multicolored and kind of like swirls of different colors anyway so it was like perfect to dribble on yeah, yeah. Turned inside out, the liner was like nude colored and you could yeah. see all the drips oh my god so gross. So embarrassing. I know. Um, so yeah, you kind of play the tape forward because what we do when we're tempted is we are playing a tape forward of I'm going to drink. I'm going to throw my head back and laugh. All the light in the room is going to be attracted to me. Everyone's going to wonder how I do it. My jokes are going to be funny. I'm going to float in and out of the room. And it's like, you're going to be crawling and drawing. <laughs> like you're, you're, and so that's, that's that sales page thing that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, this is how you envision it. This is how it's probably going to go. Mm -hmm. And then last couple things on my list of what I do is I think about the attic voice, the trickster, and I think about how socially conditioned I am to be having these thoughts in the first place. These yeah. aren't even my thoughts. Right. No, I know we've definitely been fed all these sentiments through through visuals and advertising without us even being told them. They're being told to us, but in the subtle sort of subconscious way. Yep. Yep. Okay. What about you, Elaine? How'd you get to 10 months of sobriety? <laughs> well, I love what you said about telling someone. I didn't have that on my list, but I just typed it in there because okay. I think telling someone, even one person is huge. Um, because that's gonna, even, even just to kind of cement that your own reality in the space, that's huge. The more people you tell, the more accountability you have. Yeah. And you just know. for you to say it out loud, it's like yeah. telling yourself. Exactly. It is telling yourself more than telling other people. Um, I find that like, whenever I have a craving, if I just delay, there's some sort of science around the life cycle of a craving being only like 90 seconds or something oh. like that. I think I've heard like 90 seconds, five minutes, some sort of shortish time span. Uh -huh. And so if you can just wait that out, you know, um, they will pass, you know, and like, um, I think too, like, I love the playing it forward. I've, I've heard a lot, this notion, you don't break habits, you change habits. So you replace that habit with something else, which this can look like a lot of things to a lot of different people, depending upon the time of day you drank, like how much you drank, how much energy it took up in your life. Yeah. Like many people like the wine o'clock or the post work hour time frame is the most triggering. So it can be useful to plan something like yeah. in that time frame. And have the LaCroix. Like I definitely, my husband comes home from work and he, he cracks a beer and I crack a LaCroix and we sit on the patio and like, I still engage in like happy hour. Uh, exactly. It, it happens in my house, you know? And so, yeah, my house still has drinking culture kind of in it, but like, I just drink a LaCroix, you know, the kids play outside, they come and take a sip of it. Yeah, exactly. You've replaced it with something else, something healthier. Mm -hmm. I think um, Holly Whitaker talks about, she's another author that's great to read for people who might be new to this space. Um, she talks a lot about setting up new rituals, feel good replacements for drinking, like things you can look forward to 
um, to not only fill that time, but to slowly start to reshape your entire structure for how you live and what you prioritize. So like for me, like exercise was something I was really not doing a lot whenever Uh I was drinking because I felt shitty Uh so much. And I would, I could do like, I could do exercise here and there, but it it wasn't meaningful because I mean, I was consuming so many wine calories that I was just maybe scratching the surface just getting back to zero (laughs) I know just getting back to zero and I just felt like death every time I really exercised hard so for me I found that like doing walks in the afternoon was really not super long walks but even 45 minutes both kind of helped like delay that post-work craving and then also gave me something to substitute it also helped me sleep better which was huge you know um and then like I I found, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there about journaling. I'm a big journaler, being able to recognize those cravings, write them down, the feelings that go with them. Um, you know, yeah, because that's you naming it. That's yeah. you calling it out and saying, come here, step into the light. Come here. Exactly. And just being able to like dissect that more exactly. Um, and I, I would like even use that time to make like lists and ambitions for like long and short-term goals, like what I wanted to do now with my sober time. And that kind of changed as I went along, like yeah. the more I get away from drinking and the more I get um, more like happy and, and it will happen for those people who are listening that might only be like a couple months in, or even a couple weeks in, you actually do arrive to a place, you turn a corner from where you feel like you, you know, you go from feeling like I have to do this to, I really want to do this. And so then with that came like all this like excitement around what else can I do with myself now? Totally. You, you turn that corner where you have arrived. And I, I have a handful of sober people in my life. And, um, I just talked to a gal yesterday who like, owns a business next to where I used to live and I was in town and I went in and I had lunch and um I was like hey girl just so you know like I quit drinking because I used to go sit and drink at her bar you know and she's like I haven't had a drink in 12 years I'm like I'm like if she's like feels good doesn't it I'm like it feels awesome she's like it's cool because you actually get to get to know your real self and I was like that's the thing that everybody I talk to who's actually who's really sober they go and the best part is you get to meet your real self. You get to recover your authentic self. Yes, that's you know, so true. That's the thing that I'm not willing to give up. Yeah. For all the temptation that alcohol is. I'm not, you know, that's the, that's, that's the thing. And, and that's the thing that only the sober people get it. Get that. See, so, you just paved this perfect bridge into our philosophical roots of choices that we were talking about. Yes like the why behind it all and the meaning behind it and the importance of doing it. Yeah. That's so true. And so I, I didn't mean to, but, but you're just that good. I, yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you make a plan. Is it just sort of, you're able to follow through with it, even when you're not trying super hard. I made a plan. I made a list of how I wanted to talk about this. And as I was making the list, here's the thing. It was like, what are the situations? Why do we get tempted? What do we do? And I'm thinking, what do we do? I'm making these lists of what, how you act at a party and what you do. And then it just sort of turned into this like deeper philosophical, like 
to me, it's like when you're going, I'm going to drink a LaCroix or I'm going to tell somebody, or, you know, I'm going to think bad thoughts about alcohol. That's you kind of being really granular um, with your temptation and your addiction and your sobriety. And if you can get to a point where you're like flying at 30,000 feet, Mm-hmm. where you don't have to deal with every single situation with your whole entire self. You just go, Oh yeah, that's just not something I do. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Like you, you think about why you got sober and you're holding on to that as the most important thing rather than when the waiter's going to ask everybody what they want to drink. You know, right. when you really can own your sobriety and I don't know when that happens. I think for everybody, it's different. No, you're totally right. And that you make a good point too, as well, because at some point you're not obsessing and tripping out about the small stuff anymore. You're not like worried, like, oh, does my drink look like a cocktail? And will people ask me and all the things you're worried about at first, when you make those changes after that, like you said, you rise above all those things that were really important, but now they're way less important. And you're now focused on like a higher version of yourself, which I think when you really look at that, like, you know, there are all sorts of reasons, you know, meanings of life, but you know, we were, I'm personally focused on happiness. Happiness is, you know, the journey, it's not the destination, all those things. And, you know, being genuinely happy, being myself is one of the main reasons that I'm even doing this because alcohol made me miserable and unhappy. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly that's exactly right, Elaine. And that's kind of where I got with this list is it's like, well, why, why did you even decide to get sober? And it's like, if it's cause it's what your fucking parole officer told you to do after your third DUI, then that you're not doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Like you have to be doing it for yourself. If you want to be successful, you have to be the one that made the decision and you have to be doing it because you want to make the decision. And if you are doing it for yourself and you want to make the decision, you are still going to get tempted. It's true. True. It's, there's no, it's not that black and white. And so, you know, the gifts of sobriety for you to journal about them and think about them and, you know, bring them out of your subconscious and go, you know, I was late this morning and I spilled my coffee in my car and I like dropped my earring down in the crack of my car. But like, I'm still okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's amazing what you can do. Those little things. Absolutely. Like you can, it's like the stuff that you, that was so stressful before while drinking is just like, okay, I can deal with that now. I mean, it's being able to process all those things, but I'm, you know, as the biggest thing to me is the freedom, the freedom from that cycle of crap that I was in where I just woke up feeling like death, dealt with it, um, you know, and then promised myself I wasn't going to drink and then end up back in the line at the liquor store every day. Like the freedom from that self-defeating pattern I was in is, is second to none. Like I don't, I am no longer at the mercy of that trap and the alcohol companies and being, you know, paying my hard-earned money to someone else just so that I can, you know, exactly. Just so I can separate from myself. It's so true. And so that point that you just made, we went to Mexico. It was my very first vacation sober. I was like, um, I don't know how sober I was. It was like 
I don't know. I, like I, said that. I don't know how sober I was on a scale of one to ten. Five, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But um it was pretty sober. Yeah. And it was like I was going to a beautiful tropical vacation that I had been to before that was totally a booze cruise last time, you know. And I was like, yeah, this is this might be hard, but I'm with my family and sobriety is everything. Well, we get out of the airport and boom, there's a bar right there. And people just like went and their bags are sitting there at the bottom of the bar stool and they're sitting at that bar. And it's like this shitty pop-up bar in a fucking airport parking lot. The sun's beating down. It was, I was just like, and in my mind, I could blur my eyes and I saw them handcuffed to that bar. <laughs> yes. No, that's a great visual. That's and what I saw them like. like they can't even get out and enjoy Mexico. They have to go the bar. with their personal hill. I know. They have to go put in time. That's so funny you say that too, because we do have, I didn't even think about airports earlier in the list, but <gasps> I used to have drinks before every flight, no matter what hour. Why? Because I'm not fucking driving? Right. <laughs> But now it seems really sad. You know, I used to tell myself, oh, I was scared of flying, but I'm not really that scared of flying. In fact, like in my other job as a photojournalist, I sometimes had to be like harnessed in a small flight and shoot out the open window while it was like the door, like the window was open. And, yeah, girl. And you know, like that, if I'm not scared and I'm willing to do that, like I'm not scared of flying really. It's uh-huh. just, I wanted to drink and my body was addicted to that substance and I just needed it yeah. to deal. And your addict voice was like, this will make you feel better even if it's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. If you have a problem, I'll solve it. Yeah, right. I love how the addict voice tells you it'll it'll be, it'll all be okay. <laughs> just drink today. You can deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So um, I think that, for you to be able to, another thing about arriving at sobriety is for you to examine and hold the temptation in your mind and be able to be curious about it and observe it. Because that's the thing that we would act before we even thought about it. And so that mindfulness where you think about your thoughts, for you to examine and hold your temptation, I think is, is, you know, I think it starts with identifying the attic voice. That's like one of those like gifts of sobriety that you can use to, you know, stay sober. Yeah. And I don't, you know, that kind of feels like as well, like there's a tremendous amount of pride and strength that I feel in sobriety now. Like I just imagine myself like, it's almost like mountain climbing, you know, like sometimes I'll visualize, I mean, not only do I visualize wine now as poison, kind of like you envisioned people being handcuffed to that bar. Yeah. Now I get kind of emotional when I think about whenever I rise up out of a craving and I defeat it. And I feel like I've ascended another level on the mountain and that I've got mm-hmm. a whole different perspective. I didn't even know was there. And I wouldn't know about if I hadn't gone through that. So a that, whole different perspective. I didn't yeah. even know was there. Exactly. Let's highlight that one. Get out your highlighters, everybody, because that's that's what sobriety is. You you think, oh, I am gonna have to miss out on alcohol for the rest of my life, and it's like, no, I. This is a whole different perspective. I didn't even know humans were capable of. Yeah, it's just it fills you with so much pride and so much sense of self and 
self-worth. I mean, it's so crazy to go from feeling like completely unworthy in alcohol addiction to, and I sort of hate that word, but in alcohol dependency, addiction, however you want to label it. Right. It's so hard to go. It, it's so poignant to go from that really low place of alcohol dependency and feeling unworthy to now feeling so empowered and strong and brave and all the things that are so powerful and, and make us rise up as, as to our higher selves, like in, mm -hmm. in, you know, our personal growth journeys, if you will. So we're all just becoming a little bit better people day in and day out, the longer we stay true to this, if you will, staying true to it sounds like a school couple. I know, it sounds really the... cheesy, but it's really real. And like back there, when you said like feeling so unworthy and then rising up out of your alcohol dependency and realizing that you are so worthy, it's like, I spent so many years feeling unworthy and feeling like I was a hot mess. I was a scatterbrain you know yeah, what's wrong with and, me <laughs> yeah and that, that it was something that was me but and I never ever held alcohol accountable yes for that That's so true I thought that that was part of how I was wired how I was raised how I was this and then I quit drinking and it's like I'm you know just a better mom I'm ready for my meetings and I the week before like I, I just, I always thought that that was me and I, it makes me sad because that's the worst. I would never want anyone to feel that way. I would never want my kids to feel that way. I would never want anyone I know or love to feel like it's them and they're so unworthy. And that's like another reason why, like my brother, you know, he drinks, he's a, he's a fun loving buzz chaser, just like me. <laughs> and I know that sometimes he feels like he doesn't have his shit together. And it's like, you do. It's just the alcohol is kind of keeping you from it. Yeah, it's really important to hold alcohol accountable and to realize that it's not us. There is nothing wrong with us. We are not broken individuals. We've all been manipulated by yep. one of the biggest lies in the industry. Yep. And, and the thing, it's like, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast. And I, I don't, I'm not throwing him under the bus because he's not just like a bum under the bridge. He's like a perfectly normal, successful guy who, you know, has all the things he wants and needs. It's just yeah, drinkers are <laughs> that I know that feeling because I lived it and he's my brother. It's like, I know that you just feel like sometimes you feel like you fuck things up and you need to make excuses and you're constantly apologizing and you feel a little shameful when you make mistakes. And it's like, that's not you though. That's not who you are. And I just, I never want anyone to feel that way. So another thing, I'm going to segue before I cry about like the like deep philosophy and reason um, is I think about my spot in sobriety. And I've said it before that I feel like sobriety, I'm in this VIP section. I feel like I've been, I've arrived at the VIP room, the VIP table. We're all in, you know, gorgeous gowns or whatever it is we want, you know, and we've got a seat with our name on it. And um, my aunt, my aunt is 13 years sober. And I was talking to her about kombucha. And yeah. she goes, she's like, well, babe, I don't drink it. I think some people do. And I think it's fine. But for me, it's kind of a fence sitting thing because it's got trace amounts of alcohol in it. And it could trigger, trigger me. And like, I don't want to give up my spot, babe. Yeah. And she calls everyone babe. And she's from Boston. And she's <laughs> 
she has a lipstick kiss tattoo right here. That's awesome. She's so (laughs) badass. And, uh, but she's like, I don't want to give up my spot, babe. And she said that to me like 10 years ago. Yeah. And it stuck with me. And then, you know, nine years later, I decided to get sober and I'm like, I have a spot, babe. Yeah. Because it takes a long time to get to the spot. I mean, yeah. even if you're not talking because certainly for you and I'm guessing for me too, it didn't just take us this one year or this but, 10 months. It took yeah. us a lot of years to get here. Takes 10 years to be an overnight success. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been thinking about my drinking problem for a good 10 years. Same. And so, yeah, just kind of knowing your spot and having your footing in sobriety and knowing like examining and holding dear the gifts of your sobriety helps you choose to stay home from the party or pack that cooler of LaCroix or tell the bartender or tell a friend at the party. You know, it helps you remember all those bad thoughts about alcohol that are the opposite of what everything in our society is telling us. Yeah, because there's, you know, um, when we get to this place of true happiness and self-growth, and even if we're not like, you know, none of us are perfect. We're never going to be perfect, you know, but I mean, I won't compromise anything for this. I will not go back to that place. I will do whatever it takes to avoid that feeling of unworthiness, lowness, et cetera. Um, I, I just can't go back there. I don't think it's that's that statement that people make. Like, I don't know if I've got another recovery in me, I know I've got another drink in me, but I don't know if I have another recovery in me. It's it's, so powerful. It's true. And I just don't, I, it's a big unknown. If I let that back into my life, I, I just cringe. I just cringe everything that it would climbing out of the depths of hell is hard. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to do it again. I know. That's part of the reason I stay sober is because I don't want to have to do all that. The early stuff is the hard stuff. And if you're in it, stick with it. Stick with it because it does get easier. It and, will get better. And it's not, it doesn't always feel that way. Those first 90 days, that's kind of when the clouds part for me is about 90 days. It's true. And another thing is the whole why we get tempted. The whole, like, we'll have more fun, we'll enhance the experience, we'll be bored, you know, we feel socially uncomfortable, it feels fancy, it's an exotic experience. You know what? Sobriety, sobriety has made me feel more fancy than any fucking drink ever did. It has made any vacation or concert experience more exotic and adventurous and beautiful and wholehearted than any fucking drink ever did. That's true. So there's that. And if you like social discomfort, I feel so much more at home in my own skin Mm. in sobriety than I ever did three glasses of wine in telling the same story over and over again. It's the truth. So what do you think people can do if, if they're really trying to get a, a better hold on this? I think... I I honestly, I think the best thing you can do is think about the situations ahead of time. And when you are feeling tempted, try to stop and hold that thought in your mind as, you know, think about your thinking. 
And I think you grab the whole, the whole, like, why are you tempted? I think you reach in and pull that shit out of the dark and you grab it by the collar and look it in the face and figure out where it's coming from, what's behind it, what's underneath it. And why is it calling to you? And I think knowing the added voice, like you do, Elaine, yours is, yours is the best one I've, I've really heard. I, oh, it's so good. Um, knowing that attic voice is, is a pretty big key. I think just knowing your temptations and having a place to put them is step one. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for anybody who's listening that might be earlier on all this stuff that we're talking about, you know, it's, it's tools that we've used and the other people have used and, and, you know, it might be overwhelming at first to think about all these things, but it will evolve. All these things are an evolution. And um, it's just really getting from one hour to the next 10 seconds, 10 seconds at a time, one day at a time. Um, And just really, because, you know, it's change is one of those things. I, I don't know if I've said it on here before, but I've said it to many in my sober groups. Change is one of those things that when you look at it, like from afar, from a distance, it looks bigger than it is. Change is just small little actions that we make yep. day in and day out that add up to one big thing. Drops in and a bucket. Exactly. Just keep putting those drops in that bucket. You can add, can save up your days. They'll turn into years. Oh, and that's like, so well said. <laughs> save up your days. They'll turn into years. That's uh-huh. amazing. The other thing is like, we don't have all the answers. I don't want to pretend I'm not trying to sound like I'm this expert here. Cause I'm not dude. I'm, I'm a sober infant. I'm in my infancy of my sobriety. Uh, we're, we're not experts. We're not professionals. We're not trained. We're not certified. We're just we're definitely not sober. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely like trained and certified drinkers, but um, drinkers. <laughs> you know, we're kind of new to sobriety is in terms of the greats of what sobriety is, you know, so take what we take what you can from this and like leave what doesn't work for you. And if you need to see like a professional, it's worth it. It's so worth the money. It's so worth it if you have it. So I just feel like we need to give a disclaimer because I feel like we come out here and we give a bunch of advice and I just don't want to come off as being this hot shot booger snot. <laughs> well, recovery is so unique to every individual person. And, but I do think that there, I know when I was in early recovery, I mean, and I feel like I'm still in early recovery, yeah. but, but whenever I was at three weeks, I couldn't imagine. Like when I looked at somebody who had a year, they were like an expert in the field. So there will be people who are listening to this that, that hopefully do want to absorb some knowledge and, and, you know, I mean, we do have some knowledge, just a little, but I mean, a, a little, I mean, it's like enough to like, you know, have our own podcast. <laughs> well, and you know, I love, like, I love helping others in this process, even just, even just saying something to someone or, or if it, if it just makes someone pause and get through that hard craving, and get to the next day it's worth it yeah yeah um i read a quote once that says people don't remember what you did but they'll remember how they how you made them feel yeah and i um 
I don't know, my dad was just really big on like helping, showing people what you appreciate about them so that they can like feel good about themselves, like pumping other people up because it just makes everyone better. Like if you, if someone can help you just feel, you know, confident and beautiful and strong and smart and bright and valued, it just makes society better. And so I try to do that. And like, I get this cool high from like hopping on the IAS thing and just scrolling through some of the stories. And sometimes people are celebrating and sometimes they're, they've, they've got a situation that they're struggling through and like, I'm no expert, but I just hop on and I'm like, I just want you to know that, you know, you, I admire you or, and I try to just point out to them the things that I really do feel about them because you know, people don't always say it and it feels good to hear. And I like helping people. You know? Yeah. And it's so important to just to be able to say, look, you're not alone. And yeah. that's the thing, because you do feel such a tremendous sense of isolation and loneliness at times during in, in the early portions of this. And, and sobriety feels like social suicide in the mm -hmm. very beginning. In the very beginning. Yeah, for sure. It but does. it's not. It's oh. an amazing spot, no. as your as your aunt called it. It's That's an amazing thought, spot in, in a beautiful world yep. that will completely change everything about yourself for the positive. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, uh, you've been hanging with the sober baddies. Thanks for your time. I hope you enjoyed. Hope you got a lot done while we were talking. And we'll um, see you next time when we talk about Mrs. Waterford and the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. <laughs> Stay yeah. tuned.